Absolutely. So anything you like the taste of, any veggies and stuff, chuck them in there and you're going to end up with something you like the taste of, aren't you? Well, I'm chatting with a guru, a larrikin, or sometimes just a fair dinkum Aussie bloke. I'm talking with Ranger Nick. Morning, Nick. Top of the day to you, brother. How you going? Yeah, good. Good. Now, look, because of this COVID-19 thing, I thought we'd catch up for a bit of a chat and talk about camp ovens and what we can do with them in the present sort of climate. Now, storage of your camp oven. What should we do if we want to put it into storage for a bit? Mate, storage. Look, one of the biggest things with camp ovens is um, with storage is you may get rancid smells and flavours in the oven over time. Now, probably the biggest reason for that is uh, over-oiling, so the oil will actually go rancid. When I store or when I keep my ovens, every time I use them, I do like to keep them greasy, a bit like those baking trays that everyone's got under the kitchen sink and you can't get clean, just that uh, just that oily feel about them. I like to keep them like that, and I find the animal fats are good like that. But any volume or excess oil or fat, you seem to going to get that rancid smell over time. So make sure that they're cleaned out quite well or wiped down so that there's no excess and it's just got that greasy feel, and that, that will help it to uh, not rust and, and keep a good seasoning. So your seasoning's quite important for, with things like that. It'll avoid the rust. And it's the inside that I'm focusing mostly on. The outside I don't really eat off, so I'm not too concerned about the outside getting a bit of surface rust. Um, another little tip I can give you is if you just put a bit of hand towel between the, between the uh, pot and the lid, between the base and the lid, and just put plop the lid down on top of it, that will allow air in and out or for the oven to breathe. And again, with storage and long term, that's certainly going to uh, help with those rancid smells and the like. So let it breathe. It's not going to go stale inside there. But yeah, the, probably the biggest tip is don't over-oil it. All right. Now, maintenance-wise, is there anything, whether it's we're putting it into storage or whether we're just travelling with it, even just using it at home, is there any maintenance that we should be doing on the camp oven? Well, I've kind of already touched on that in that subject. So to maintain your oven well, a good seasoning. So basically to get a good seasoning, you can go through a whole process and like oil it, bring it to a heat so it starts to smoke and you'll get a a little chemical reaction that occurs called polymerisation. And what that does is put a thin film and seal of metal so that you get this uh, black seasoning on, on the inside of the oven. And basically, the more you use the oven and the less you clean it, the better it's going to be. And when I say the less you clean, I don't mean leave bags on it. I mean, don't overheat it so that you're burning that polymerization off or that seasoning off, but just so you can wipe it out with a bit of rag or paper towel, and that'll self-oil and self-grease. Yeah, by rinsing it out with uh, hot, hot water or something, you take those fats away and, of course, detergent will give you the same result. There's certainly a big uh, debate on whether or whether to not use detergent. I say it's your oven, do what you like with it. It's not really going to bother with either way. I just think that our forefathers never had detergent and never used it, therefore, so I'm pretty lazy and cost, you know, save the penny, so... I really don't bother. So generally after I use the oven, if it's got a bit of gravy in it, I'll rinse it out with hot water and just wipe it out and give it a light grease. 
Um, outside of that, I just wipe it out with the with the animal fat that's in the in the camp oven. Just give it a bit of a wipe out, smear that fat very thinly. Not not a not a lot in there, or as we've already mentioned, you may get those rancid flavours in store, uh, smells and flavours in storage. So as far as maintenance goes, yep, just just keep it well greased, keep that greasy feel about it, and um, if you want to keep the outside looking pretty, yep, just wipe a bit of oil over the outside, or even old Ned Winter said to me one day, a cake of soap, it's got it's got um, lamb fat or mutton fat in it, or traditionally at least. Cake of soap rubbed over it will give that greasy feel on the outside. And, and uh, as I say, you won't get that taste in the oven because you're only using it on the outside. So as far as maintenance goes, it's just with the way you clean and care for your oven, pretty much. And so getting out, if you've had it in storage and you're getting out, it's basically just more or less the same thing. Just give it a wipe over and, and check that everything's okay inside and you're pretty much ready to go. Absolutely. Look, if, you, if you've had it in storage, just lift the lid. If there's no rancid smell, then get straight into using it. And that should be as simple as that. You should be able to pull it out at any time and just use it. So um, if you do lift the lid and you, you, you do notice that rancid smell, a bit of hot water in there, give it a rinse out, shebang a bang, it should be ready to use. Just get rid of that smell and it'll all be gone. As I said, if it's well seasoned, you'll have that polymerization which seals the metal or seals the cast iron, and, um, yeah, just rinse that excess oil off it, which is where the rancid is, and that smell should dis- di- di- let me do, 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 do that again. It will dissipate, and, yeah, be ready to use. There's no big drama. And remember, heat kills any bugs and things that are in there, so you really don't have any issues with um, contamination. All right. Now, because we're all spending a little bit more time at home at the moment, it's probably a not a bad idea to do a bit of practicing while you're at home. What's your thoughts about using it in a camp oven in your kitchen at home on the gas stove or the electric stove? Is that possible? Oh, mate, it's just a pot. It's a cast iron pot. And and if you have a look at history, we've been using cast iron for thousands of years. It's one of the most healthiest surfaces you'll eat off. I would highly recommend use cast iron in your kitchen. Get rid of that damn Teflon and use cast iron in your kitchen. Simple as, if it's well seasoned, you're going to get a non-stick surface. I've got skillets here I've had since I first started Boy Scouts when I was eight years of age. Much like Teflon, I can fry an egg in it and just slip it off the off the pan. So the more you use them, the better they get. Is, is The best advice I would say is use it. So they'll work on on uh, gas, electricity, on what's that newfangled one, Shane? Uh, uh, heat induction? Heat induction, that's right, which all, which is all worked on magnets, if you will. It's a magnetic type thing. So if a magnet sticks to your pot, it's, you're able to use it on induction. It's that straightforward. Cast iron's going to work on your induction stove without harming it. Well, that's interesting. So, that, that's something I didn't know. I sort of half thought, yeah, you should be able to, well, I knew you'd be able to use it on gas, and I thought, yeah, you should be able to use it on electricity, but I didn't think you could use it on induction. That's that's very interesting. I, I'm glad we discussed that. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, there was a, I, I was doing quite a bit of work with a company called EcoPot, and they were moving induction stoves with, with uh, stainless steel pots. Now, stainless steel won't work on induction, unless, of course, there's ferrous metals in it. So... 
anything with a ferrous metal in it will work on induction. And, and even saying that, you can just put a, a, a light plate, like a eighth of an inch or three mil plate on top of your induction, a, a mild steel plate, and sit anything on top of that. So the plate will heat up and still your stainless steel will work on it. So if you do have induction, you don't have to chuck everything out and get new cookware as such. You just need to have something with ferrous metals so that you can sit the base on it. So, yeah, induction's quite quick and efficient and all that sort of thing. Um, I like the open fire, of course, but and even in my home here, I don't have a stove in my kitchen. The only stove that's inside my house is in the lounge room. So it's a combustion stove which we use through winter. Other than that, I have an outdoor kitchen built off the side of the house and I use gas and wood fire all year round. Yeah, so all, all of, yeah, so all of the cooking I do is outside. I've either got a fire going or I do a quick fry up or something on the gas. So I would highly recommend that you use cast iron on a daily basis. Um, as far as your fires and things go, we've got alternative heat sources so you're not smoking your neighbours out. You can use things like your charcoal briquettes as an as a alternate heat source. So I, I generally use hot shots. You'll get them from any bunning stores. They're a very good product. They're reliable, uh, very, very um, consistent. So if I use the same amount of charcoal briquettes each time I cook, I get exactly the same amount of heat. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out of your cooking. So in your backyard with a fire or your charcoal briquettes, mate, there's no reason so long as there's uh, your fire safety and all that's put into place you, and you're sensible about that sort of thing, then there's no problem at all with using your camp ovens on a daily basis. And, and certainly, as you mentioned, practice makes perfect. So practice through these times. It's a little bit of fun. I'm seeing more and more people at the moment. Over Easter, there was some great stuff going on with um, stay-at-home-and-go-camping type things. We did a uh, Camp for Cancer, we, we uh, got involved with what they were doing and did a few YouTube recipes and things like that for them and, and had talk back on on Zoom. I did Zoom. How's that? I'm get, I, I don't know that I'd do it myself. I'm pleased I've got a partner that knows a bit more about that sort of thing, but there was all questions and answers after and that sort of stuff. So, look, mate, I reckon you're a mug if you're not using cast iron because it's it's easy to upkeep. If it's used on a daily basis, it's very easy to clean. It takes a, You've got a lot less cleaning to do with cast iron because it's as simple as wipe it out with a bit of paper towel. Control your heat, very little cleaning to do. You've won me. I hate doing the dishes. <laughs> Definitely hate doing the dishes. Okay, so we're going to do some practising. Let's run through a couple of recipes that we we can give a try out at home at the moment. What what have you got in mind for it? Well, as you said, with the present climate, I've um, I've put together what I call a COVID soup. Now, not only for the COVID nineteen epidemic, but certainly we're coming into winter, so soups are pretty warming and and comfort foods. So this one I've put together. It's got nineteen ingredients in it, and it's just a simple soup. Now, first thing. First thing and above all, keep all your bones. So rather than feed them to the dogs or before you feed them to the dogs, keep all your bones, throw them in a pot and boil the guts out of your bones. That's going to give you a nice broth. Okay, with that broth, you've got a great stock and you've got some good flavours. So there's a good base to start your soup with. So with water, soup bones, 
you want to dice up some carrots, potato, sweet potato, onion, lentils, barley, broccoli, celery, uh, salt, a few Frankfurt sausages, beans, parsley, shallots, pumpkin, chilli, ginger and garlic. Now that's 19 and notice the last three, chilli, ginger and garlic. Really good for the immune system and really good for shoving them bugs out of your body. So it's really good for giving you a clean out, boosting your immunity and keeping your system healthy. I can't stress enough how, how, how important I think it is at least to eat well and stay active. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself is fresh produce. Put together these simple type meals with, with your fresh produce. You get Food tastes good, right, Shane? Absolutely. Absolutely. So anything you like the taste of, any veggies and stuff, chuck them in there and you're going to end up with something you like the taste of, aren't you? That's for sure. Now, Ab- just, just hold up a sec. I've got a couple of questions. First of all, you said, obviously your bones, but I mean, that can be beef, it can be chicken, it can be lamb, it, it can be anything really, can't it? Absolutely. Look, save them up over a few days. If you've got, if you do a roast chicken one day, a roast lamb, uh, maybe some T-bone steaks, keep all those bones, throw them in the pot and boil the guts out of them, boil them to pieces. And when it reduces down, you'll find that the stock, when it's cool, goes a lot like gelatine, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So, so this is how we how how all this sort of stuff's produced. But, but it gives you a really good stock base, and you can keep keep it in the fridge or put it in the freezer and use it at a later date. But best way to get a nice stock and a good broth flavour. Boil your guts out of your bones. Hang on to the bones. Don't chuck them out. So, could you perhaps perhaps even sort of put them in the freezer and and save save a few like over. A- over the week, save them up, and then chuck them all in when you've got them all at, say, at the end of the week, on the weekend? Oh, most certainly. No, without a doubt. That I'd have to encourage it, mate. I, I save all my bones. Um, I've just finished a leg ham, and first thing I'm going to... I get excited when I come towards the egg, end of a leg ham or, or have bacon bones on hand because there's a pea and ham soup waiting to happen right there. Oh, I love my pea and ham soup. Oh, it keeps you regular, doesn't it? It's it a does. musical it's a musical soup. <laughs> musical soup. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's how we make the COVID soup. Now, we'll organise to get that recipe from you, Nick, and we'll put that up in the show notes. So because I reckon that's a really good idea for people to be cooking up at the moment as a COVID soup. So we'll put that on there for you folks to um to follow through. So what's another great recipe you got for us? Oh, mate, you know, everyone seems to have a little bit of a sweet tooth and there's so many packeted things these days that you can buy and I've bought them and tried them and think, well, you know, the way me mum and me grandma used to do stuff, it's just as simple as buying something from a packet. Now, if I make things from scratch and from ingredients that are basic, at least I know what's in there. With packets, I'm not 100% sure of what preservatives and whatever the heck goes into things, I'm not sure. So a chocolate self-sourcing pudding, people buy it in a packet because of the convenience and how easy it is. But let me tell you, a chocolate self-sourcing pudding is one of the most easiest puddings to put together. And um, I've got a quick, simple recipe here uh, that you'd like might like to give a try. You've got my attention, Nick. Go for it. Uh, 
Okay, so it's not not a big drama. We just need a cup of self-raising flour, four tablespoons of cocoa powder, one and a quarter cups of brown sugar, um, 100 grams of melted butter, half a cup of milk, one beaten bum nut. For those that don't know what a bum nut is, of course, it's the embryo that comes from a chicken's behind. And one and three-quarter cups of boiling water. You got that, Shane? You I knew that. Up? Yep, yep. I'm... Yeah, that's an egg, right? Yep, I've got gotcha. you. Yeah, good, good. The chicken am a useful bird, a little boy once said, because you can eat him before he's born and after he am dead. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, just take, so take those ingredients, okay? We just want to mix that flour with two, te- with two tablespoons of cocoa powder and half a cup of brown sugar, all right? Then we just gradually add the milk, butter, and the beaten egg until it's all well combined. And you'll find you have something that's much <laughs> like a bit of a runny cake mix, okay? Right. Pour that into a greased camp oven, and your two-quart camp ovens make a great size to do this. They fit in there quite well and fill it. If you don't have a two-quart camp oven, just use a Pyrex dish or your cake tin or whatever you'd usually put into your convectional oven at home. All right? So just drop that straight into there. Um, the remaining sugar, cocoa powder, just sprinkle over the top of that batter and gently pour that hot water over the top of the mix. All right? Bake that on a moderate heat for around about the 25, 35 minutes, somewhere around that half an hour period and you'll find it comes out just beautiful. Spoon it out, serve it with a bit of cream or ice cream or both, and, mate, you're on a winner there. It's absolutely beautiful. It's straightforward, simple to make, and they're basic ingredients. I love the idea of cream and ice cream. Oh, mate, even a bit of custard, whatever takes your fancy. I'm sort of a bit of a lover of cream. I guess we got spoiled as kids having to get up early in the morning and go and milk cattle. Um, there was always cream on hand, and I tell you what, one of the one of the fondest memories I have of a kid of a cold winter's morning running across the paddock in bare feet, and uh, you'd find a nice steaming cow pat to stand in, and oh, what it's like heaven, mate! Better than mud between your toes, you know. And of course, okay. once you got you once you got over to the dairy, uh, when the heifer lifted its tail, you had something to wash your feet under, and. And while you were milk, milking the cattle, we always kept the tin of Milo and a pannikin and spoon in the shed. So you could have nice warm milk with the cream on top mixed up with your Milo and, mate, absolutely beautiful. Just some of the fondest memories I have as being a kid. Now, I like that idea. Yeah. Nice fresh milk from a cow with a couple of teaspoons of Milo mixed through it. Oh, you got me thinking. Oh, mate, absolutely lovely on a cold winter's morn. Mmm, sounds good. Yeah, not the only thing that was steaming in the... That was, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, okay, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> now, there's a recipe I know that you've done, and, and I like the sound of it because it, it, it includes two things that I like. One is ginger beer and the other one is scones. Oh, I thought you meant the ginger and the beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too, that too. Now you're too. confusing me, yeah. <laughs> so, 
But yeah, mate, look, scones are a bit of a one of them Aussie all-rounders. They they certainly hit the spot. I recall doing this recipe over in Germany when when I did a tour through Germany, and um, look, the the crowds were just amazed by how simple I made things look. And and scones is something that, that really not in their diet. But there's a, there's a lot of um, Germans making scones now. I can tell you that much. But Scones are really simple. There's a couple of little tips I'll, I'll mention to you about scones, but pretty much don't overwork the mix and a nice hot oven. So if you end up cooking rock cake, one of those one of those two things that you, you probably is where you're going wrong. So you might have heard your grandma talk to you about mixing your doughs and things like that, and use a butter knife to cut through the mix. And dampers, it's a good little tip for making your dampers too. Cut through your mix. So rather than punch all the air out of it, we want to cut through the mix to keep the air through the through the flour. So and and not overwork it as to push all that air out. So with a couple of cups of uh, self-raising flour, all you really need to add is about a tablespoon of raw sugar. I like to use raw sugar. Uh, so raw sugar, uh, an egg, a cackleberry. Yep, drop that in there with it about a teaspoon of salt and we're just gonna we're just gonna add a good help dollop of cream. Now if you've got dairy that's soured, cream or milk, add that to your scone mix. Okay. My Auntie June actually makes the best scones in the world. And I don't mean to offend Flo on this subject, but sorry Flo, my Auntie June makes the best scones in the world. Don't watch her make them because she reaches up above the fire recess to a little orange jug she keeps up there, and that's where all her sour dairy goes. So when she's got that jug full, she has a big bake-up with sour dairy. Sounds gross, I know, but that's the only thing I can put it down to as to why her scones are so good. So any sour dairy, make a batch of scones. So we've got our flour, egg, salt, sugar, a bit of cream, and we're just going to add ginger beer. Now, a lot of people ask me about why I would use a carbonated drink or whatever. Does it aerate it, all that sort of thing? I don't know that it really does. I just like the taste of ginger, especially in my bake. So add all that together until it comes to a dough, much like Play-Doh, I guess, that's easy to manage. And uh, you can either roll it out, punch it out like you traditionally would, I do a lot of work on the creek bank. I don't like to go to a lot of fuss, so I just roll it into balls about the size of golf balls, maybe a little bigger. Pop it into my camp oven just on a on a um, dusted base, and usually I put a bit of alfoil down so that I can just pick the alfoil out at the end, just lift the corners out, and, and um, it's easy to manage. Sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah, just dust that. Just dust that and set your little balls around all nice and close together and in the centre of your camp oven. Bake that on a high heat, probably 180 to 2. Goodness, excuse me, you'd think I'd just had a feed of scones. <laughs> you you, you uh, bake that on a high heat for around about 10 to 12 minutes. Now, like most baking, if you can smell it, if you can smell those scones are cooking, it's very likely they're cooked or very close to it. But it only takes 10 to 12 minutes for them to bake and you'll get that nice golden crust on top. Lift them out, whack a bit of jam and cream on them and make you're on a roll. Absolutely simple recipe and a real tasty one as well. So scones are a real Aussie thing. I say get them into your shame. I'm looking forward to those 
give them a try. Look, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I had a mate, he rang me up. He said, mate, he said, I'm so excited. I just made a batch of your scones. I said, oh, right, oh, how'd they go? He said, well, I had no ginger beer. And I went, oh, well, just use a bit of lemonade. He said, well, no lemonade. He said, no soft drinks in my camp, mate. He said, um, I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I opened a tin of black rat and I tipped that into him. He said, they were beautiful scones. Okay. Now, for those who don't know what black rat is. There's rum and coke. That's tin right. Tin and <laughs> rum and cola into the mix. And he said, they were absolutely beautiful scones. So... If you like things like that, I suppose a few sultanas in there as well, and you'd have a good rum and raisin type scone. Now, I like the sound of that because I, I like my Bundaberg rum. I'm a, I'm a fan of Bundaberg rum and Coke, so I'm going to give that one a go as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't drink the muck because it makes my nose bleed. Oh, that's not good. No, I either fall on my face or someone hits me. <laughs> I don't drink it. <laughs> oh, Nick. <laughs> well, well, I want to thank you because, as always, it's it's been a fun chat, very informative and very entertaining at the same time. Thanks for catching up with us, Nick. You stay mate, safe at home, and we'll mate, see you on the road soon. Yeah, likewise, absolute pleasure. Like, remember, guys, in this time. Don't worry about the future. Worry about the present. We can't change what's going to happen. We can't change what has happened, but it's what we do right now. So eat well, stay active, love the people around you, and take this opportunity at the moment to uh, get out and do the things that you don't normally get a chance to do around the home. I'm hearing a lot of people are bored. we? look, when we never had TV, internet, all the rest, no one was bored. We sat down, done tapestry, we done puzzles, we played board games together. There's so much we can do to um, keep our minds active and not get bored and bring the family back together again. Let, let's support Australia and go back a bit. Take that step back to the way things used to be. Good on you, Nick. I agree with you, mate. Talk to you again soon. Stay safe, look after each other, have a ripping time out there, eh? All good, all good. Life's great. See you, buddy. Righto, hooroo.